This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories and get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about the governor elevating certain protests during COVID-19 concerns, the state's unemployment numbers, and more. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. While Illinois is still weeks away from Governor J.B. Pritzker's fourth phase of a five-phase reopening plan, still has restrictions on business operations and gathering sizes, Missouri is set for a full reopen Tuesday. Governor Mike Parson said at some point government has to get out of the way to let people live their lives and regulate themselves. He encouraged people to continue social distancing. Despite continued decline in the rate of positive COVID-19 cases in all regions of Illinois and decreasing COVID-19 hospitalizations, Illinois' economy still among the most restricted in the nation and a growing number of elected officials want to open things faster. Illinois Senate Republicans, the latest group to come out urging the governor to open things up quicker than the existing June 26th target date. The governor in Moline Wednesday said that there's a method to his plan. The reason that we have phases is because as you reopen and move into a new phase, guess what? You're going to get more cases. That's the, you know, that's the thinking. In Orland Park earlier this week, Mayor Keith Pacal said that they've sent several resolutions to the governor to open things up faster with no response. We have tried to reason with and work with the governor and legislators. Frankly, we are getting nowhere. There is no logic, data, or science being shared to explain the restrictions we are living with. I call it weird science. He said the restrictions throughout this process have made no sense, from pot shops being considered essential while decades-old family businesses aren't. He also said stay-at-home order protesters last month were condemned as dens of COVID-19. However, the activities of last week were A-OK. Somehow, scientific evidence must show COVID knows the difference between what is being protested for. Pukau wants to have dine-in service for restaurants as soon as Friday. Pritzker said his five-phase plan allows close monitoring with an eye on another spike possible this fall. Now we know what the mitigations are that we can put in place. We know how to manage through uh, making sure that our health care system doesn't get overwhelmed. Uh, but I pray, and I think we should all pray, that the fall doesn't bring uh, the kind of spike that some people expect. At Springfield, Mayor Jim Langfelder continues his push to reopen earlier. Some restaurants are bucking the governor's plan and allowing dine-in service anyway. Police officers in Illinois already have to get a state certification, and some state officials are now pushing to require state licensure for law enforcement officers. Attorney General Kwame Raoul floated the idea several years ago from when he was a state senator. He brought the idea up again after discord after George Floyd was killed in police custody in Minneapolis. The governor is also interested. And I've talked to a number of uh, police officers uh, about licensing. So we're trying to take into consideration an issue like that and all sides of it to see how we can get something done. Ed Wojcicki with the police chiefs is ready for a conversation, but he says that he has some concerns. He said that he's already heard one suggestion to have police officers get similar amounts of education to what doctors get think that's a crazy idea because that's not what uh, reasonable people will want. But if you had that level, then more politics would be involved. State Representative John Cabello, who's also a police officer, said this discussion takes away from dealing with corruption within the state legislature. I, 
I will talk about that after we start maybe licensing our state representatives and senators. Cabello said not every cop's a bad cop, just as not every governor's a bad governor. But he said Illinois had a fair share of chief executives put behind bars over the years. Look how many governors we sent to prison. Look how many uh, state representatives have been indicted. A state senator uh, or two are going to be indicted. Um, so it's, it's again, a, a shifting of the conversation as to um, what their narrative is and what they want it to be. Cabello also said requiring cops to be licensed doesn't grow the state's economy to foster opportunity for all communities. All the details about how a police license would cost, who would oversee the licensing, and what kinds of training and education would be required have yet to surface. Illinois lawmakers sounding off on the recent Justice in Policing Act proposal by Democrats in the U.S. House and Senate. Kevin Bessler reports. The reforms confront several aspects of policing as more and more violence is captured on cell phones and shared across the planet. One of the proposals would change the federal civil rights law and would allow an officer to be charged with acting with reckless disregard for someone's life or causing a person's death. In a message posted on Twitter, U.S. Representative Adam Kinzinger of Kankakee, who represents Illinois' 11th Congressional District, said there's a better way. Let's figure out how to get the screening tools and the proper training to our police officers. And let's also recognize that they have a really tough job. Let's call out bad ideas for what they are, and let's work together for real and achievable solutions. The House of Representatives is expected to spend much of the month working on the measure, but it is unclear how the GOP-controlled Senate will respond to it. I'm Kevin Bessler. Depending on who you ask, the pandemic-era budget the governor enacted to begin July 1st is either the best it can be given the state of affairs or the worst budget ever. State Representative Mike Zaleski said the budget is the best the state can do during a pandemic because it funds health care and education. As to the billions the plan relies on from federal aid that hasn't materialized. I'm confident in the federal government's ability to offer some aid to the state. I think it's a bipartisan cause, so I think it'll get done. Zaleski says he doesn't expect to address any budget shortfalls in the fall session as the budget gives the power to Governor Pritzker for some leeway during the pandemic. Frankly, just giving the governor appropriation authority to be able to move move back and forth um, during while we're tr- still trying to sort out uh, the future. Public finance watchdog Wirepoint's President Ted Dabrowski said leeway during a crisis is fair, but says there's nothing in the budget to reform spending and address structural deficits. We're continuing the same path we've been on, uh, which is which is the reason why we're just one notch away from junk. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if we're you know, eventually become a junk-rated state, the first ever in the country. Fitch Ratings said the budget serves as a fiscal placeholder because it's dependent on federal aid and voter sentiment on the progressive income tax amendment, which is up for a vote this November. Dabrowski said lost revenue from the COVID-19 pandemic and continued structural deficits make the budget a failure in several ways. On top of that, it ends up with a $6 billion deficit. And they want to cover that with tax hikes, and with a bailout from the federal government, it's, it's I think, probably the most uh, irresponsible budget ever. The governor said the General Assembly may have to revisit the plan if federal aid isn't granted, but also promoted his progressive income tax amendment to bring in billions more from tax increases in future years. And as Illinois lawmakers worked on a budget last month for the fiscal year that begins July 1st, the state was already facing an estimated $7 billion revenue shortfall, largely due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Kevin Bessler reports. Adam Levin from the Pew Charitable Trust says Illinois is hoping to borrow billions from the Federal Reserve's new Municipal Liquidity Facility, or MLF. Fed stepped in and said, well, states might need to issue debt to cover some of the revenue losses that they're experiencing now, but interest rates have gone up, and so it's really expensive for them to do that. So um, we will create this program. Illinois is banking on paying back the money with federal budget aid that has not yet been approved by Congress. Levin says Illinois is not the only state dealing with budget obstacles. All states are facing pretty unprecedented revenue crashes right now. Um, So a lot of states are thinking about all the tools that they have available to address those issues. Levin says borrowing costs could play an important role in determining if governments will take advantage of the MLF. I'm Kevin Bessler. And now that he's no longer holding daily press briefings on the status of COVID-19, Governor J.B. Pritzker has been traveling the states, but he hasn't invited Republican state lawmakers along for what could be bipartisan causes, lawmakers say. 
Springfield Tuesday. Pritzker was with Democratic County Chairperson, the Democratic State Senator, and organizers of a Black Lives Matter march for a roundtable discussion. Springfield Republican State Representative Tim Butler said he wasn't invited. Could we bring different perspectives to the table? Absolutely. That's, that's what the process is all about. But there's a lot of talk of listening right now. There's a lot of talk of discussion right now. And you can't have discussions and you can't listen if, if not everyone is at the table. Asked if any Republicans were invited to that event, the governor's press secretary said the roundtable with Black Lives Matter was, quote, meant to be a listening session for the governor to learn from activists. And Bunker Hill Democratic State Senator Andy Menar asked to attend. And a stop in Moline for an event about child care funding with several elected Democrats. There were no Republicans. Savannah Republican State Representative Tony McCombie said she didn't get an invite. His continued uh, disregard of, uh, of me is fine, but to disregard the people that I represent is not fine. The governor's office said McCombie wasn't invited because she didn't vote for the budget with the child care funding. They said that it would be, quote, incredibly disingenuous to participate in events about money from grants that she voted against. McCombie said she has no problem explaining her votes. The budget was not a good budget. It was a budget that they did not ask uh, for one vote from a Republican. They didn't ask for any of our um, input. And so why, why would why would we vote for something that has none of our input in it? She said voting for a bad budget doesn't mean she disregards early childhood funding. Those are the top stories from the past week for Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up from Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Illinois in Focus's Crosstalk segment. I'm Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square here in Illinois, and I'm joined once again by my friend and colleague, Dan McCaleb, our executive editor. Dan, how are you today? Doing well, Chris. How are things with you? Things are very, very good. You know, we um, are having an absolutely gorgeous, like, Chamber of Commerce-type day here in northern Illinois. It's like 75 degrees. It's perfectly sunny. There's a gentle breeze blowing. It would be very difficult uh, to balance this if you had just sort of dropped down from outer space with the absolute level of panic and terror that persists around the COVID-19 pandemic. This seems awfully idyllic. After some storms earlier this week, I think we're, we're, we're heading for an, a very nice several days, maybe a little bit cooler. Um, temps in the high 60s and, and 70s in the next few days, but it sounds like perfect golf weather to me. I don't, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. But Dan, we still live, you know, in uh, the same situation, weather aside, that, that we lived in before. Things are starting to reopen in the state of Illinois, but uh, still slowly, still measured. What's your take? Where are we? Despite, uh, despite the governor's orders, we're seeing businesses defy them, opening up, rest, some restaurants even uh, allowing indoor dining, even though Governor Pritzker says it's too dangerous to do that yet. His next phase doesn't begin until uh, – couple of weeks, June 26th, Friday, June 26th. We'll see if um, uh, if he doesn't extend current restrictions or, or whatever. But I think, honestly, as we talked about uh, before we began taping, we're taping this, by the way, on uh, Thursday, June 11th, um, that, that the governor is in part becoming irrelevant. People have just stopped listening to him. He keeps saying the same things over and over again um, about the dangers of, of, of people gathering and then he goes out as we talked about um, um, and participates in protests where um, hundreds of people are right on top of each other. Some of them not wearing masks. He's there. Um, so it's okay to get together for these, for these um, racial injustice protests, but it's not okay for uh, a restaurant to allow with social distancing to allow patrons to inside their, their stores. I think that that's um that that is exactly why you have such a level of ambivalence 
being demonstrated by some business owners and certainly, you know, some people um, and a growing what seems to be a growing percentage of Illinoisans that that those two things don't line up in terms of um, I don't know if the words fairness, but they just don't make sense. They seem there's an incongruency there. If you can go and do X and that's okay. And certainly, Hey, look, I mean, I love, I, you know, I, I, I love the constitution and, and, and I love the idea of freedom, you know, of, of assembly. And I think that, that protesting, whatever you want to protest, whether it's, you know, clubbing baby seals or, not clubbing baby seals or whatever the case might be, whatever your take is, um, you know, the, this country is fantastic because you have the ability to stand out there uh, on a street corner or to walk down the street, you know, with a group of people that, you know, that are like-minded and have your voice heard. But at, at the same time, I mean, you know, we've been told to follow the science and the data and to listen to the experts, I don't know how many times by Governor Pritzker. I mean, at this point, you you know, it would be a, it would be like very very difficult to count. But over the course of the past three months, we've been told this no less than a hundred times every uh, single day. Every single day that there's been an opportunity to speak to it, and I think it's what people are seeing. And what they're experiencing on their own, and certainly, you know, what, what appears to be uh, a "do as I say, not as I do" uh, occurring among, you know, part of the state's political elite class, that is causing them to say, you know what, I'm not so sure anymore about these rules. And I think that, that, you know, you and I have talked to, you know, not only, you know, here in, in the commentary segment, you know, in, in Illinois and focus in the, in the crosstalk segment, but sort of offline and, and, and daily about sort of the, the actual holding to account of those who don't follow the rules. And there doesn't seem to be any of that. I mean, we have not heard of any, 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 um, any business losing its liquor license. We haven't heard of any business losing its business license. We haven't seen sort of the consequences of the, um, what amounts to be like a civil disobedience around these rules. So they're very difficult, I think, for a lot of people to take too seriously. Right, so, uh, and, and and we've talked about this before. It's apparently, according to to Governor Pritzker, it's safe uh, to go buy clothing at a Target, at a Super Target, but it's not at Kohl's. You can go buy, you know, garden plants and flowers uh, at Walmart, but your lo- your local flower shop, your local small business, uh, it's not safe. It doesn't make any sense. Um, the rules don't make any sense. And you mentioned that he's that he's continually saying every single day that he's relying on the science and the data. Well, the data is turned against him. Um, Wirepoints.com had an interesting take uh, today, um, taking taking a hard look at the data. Hospitalizations are down by 50% um, since the the April peak. Deaths are down by 40%. I mean, that's what he said he was relying on. Um, well, those data points are turning in our direct, are turning in the right direction, or have turned in the right direction significantly. But we have to wait till June 26 to ease further restrictions. That doesn't make why. 1.2 million Illinoisans have filed unemployment claims in the in the three months uh, that the governor's stay-at-home order has been in effect. Um, what's the impact of that? Let these people get back to work, please. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and I, I think that that sort of the 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 uncertainty of what this all means as it's coming from government is fueling a level of uneasiness and actually stoking the flames of fear among people who might otherwise uh, be okay to uh, rejoin society in a meaningful way on the work side or simply on the play side, and, and you know it's. Like the little acts of civil disobedience that I that I've seen simply from just driving around in, in you know in, in my community, that the police tape 
that was surrounding playgrounds. Someone took it down in the last couple of days. It had stood since the middle of March when it was frankly too cold to even go outside and play in a playground. Uh, That tape has been cut. Uh, I've seen kids playing in playgrounds, which to be honest with you, I think is awesome. Children as a, as a, you know, as this super spreader, you know, group in theory, and I'm not sure that that ever, that that ever really was the case. Uh, and I'm, I'm being skeptical of, of our understanding of this simply because we were making decisions without data and without science at that time. Um, it was caught, it was a cautionary tale that, that, uh, that children, uh, could potentially be, you know, vectors for, uh, for the spread of the disease. And, and, uh, that was a justification for schools being taken down. Uh, closed and whatnot uh, because we wanted to protect staff and and I, I get that I get that but we're not seeing it we're we're, not, we're just simply not we're not seeing that um, in in the tracking um, as the tracking is being discussed and and you may have noticed that one of the things that has sort of fallen in the background you know um, and and certainly you know the 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 horrible horrible death of George Floyd. Uh, has kind of moved into the in front of of COVID nineteen from a from a storyline and pushed virtually everything else to the back, including COVID nineteen. We're just not hearing about the the tracing and the tracking uh, like we were before, because it just doesn't fit the broader narrative, right? As, as 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 our producer pointed out in um, uh, in pre production, uh, it, it's been almost two weeks, full weeks now since these protests were taking place all across the state, um, with hundreds and hundreds of people uh, gathering in tight spaces um, to protest the death uh, uh, of George Floyd, and and we aren't seeing. Um, the number of cases increase. We're still seeing the number of, of, of new COVID cases um, declining, the number of hospitalizations declining, the number of people needing ventilators declining, the number of deaths declining. Mm-hmm. What else has changed too is this, the science has changed early on. The World Health Organization um, uh, early on said uh, COVID could be spread very easily from surfaces. So you got to clean surfaces. You got to clean um, cardboard boxes when Amazon delivers a package or whatever. You have to wait a few days uh, to open the package. They've they've since said that uh, no, it's 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 less likely um, uh, to be spread um, from surfaces. That's one of the reasons why they close down playgrounds because you know mm-hmm. a, a child coughs into their hand, touches the playground equipment, and another kid comes in and touches the same spot, and they could get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that's changed drastically. Who this week and what was sort of a bizarre uh, about face early on this week? Uh, a, a Who professional? And I, excuse me if I butcher her name. Dr. Maria Van Kerkobe said it was, it, and this is her direct quote: "Quote, it's very rare for asymptom- asymptomatic uh, people, uh, folks who have COVID nineteen but haven't developed the sim- symptoms, for them to spread it uh, to someone else." The next day, she got widely criticized for that. The next day, who? sort of kind of attempted to walk it back, but didn't say what you said was not true. Um, so the science has changed. The data is, as, as we've said, is certainly going the right direction. There's no reason why um, these restrictions need to be, stay in place for another two weeks uh, as things are improving. Yeah, the asymptomatic, pre-symptomatic uh, seems like, you know, sort of hair splitting. Yes. To, you know, to the, to the you know, to, to, to my... Um, rock-headed mind. I, I'm not really sure what what the difference is. I've 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 read, uh, and I and I see that there is a difference. But I, to be honest with you, I, I think it's I, I I think it's mumbo jumbo. I, I don't think there's really anything really. There's any there's nothing that the average person would be able to take away from that. And there's really nothing that anybody other than a, you know than a, a science-minded person would take away from that. And I think in the, in the broader scheme of, of like living life, there's really no, there's no, there's no meaningful difference there. There's no, there's no meaningful difference there. So, I mean, you know, one of the things that, that like that we're seeing is, is that um, business owners um, and, and certainly, you know, the customers, consumers, regular people uh, have kind of had it with this and there's no, 
there's no adjudication. There's no, there's no enforcement. You know, you have people that are going to dine in restaurants. Now um, the, the restaurants are starting to sort of open up on their own. Local municipalities are not enforcing it. So we're kind of pushing, we're going to push through to the, to the next phase. People are advancing to the next phase virtually everywhere. Even, you know, in, in Chicago itself, which has been the epicenter of our issue in the state of Illinois, uh, they, they announced this past week that Navy, Navy Pier uh, uh, was, was reopening. And so if you think about it, if you've ever been to Navy Pier, which is a tourist trap, have you ever seen a time uh, on that main walkway where there hasn't been thousands thousands of people walking elbow to elbow no you you never will right so yeah so so navy pier is now safe to reopen that chicago's perhaps top tourist spot that's safe to reopen um but uh the lakefront the bike paths and and uh running paths uh on the lakefront aren't safe to to reopen it just it it's it, it it defies logic it's it's Essentially, the 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 kind of um, contradictory messages that uh, Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago and Governor Pritzker uh, across Illinois, the, the mixed messages that they're they're giving to residents, and that's why when I set up top, uh, Governor Pritzker is largely becoming uh, irrelevant. I don't know if you had an opportunity to listen to Orland Park Mayor's uh, Orland, the Orland Park Mayor Keith Pekow's uh, YouTube message. Uh, earlier this week, um, where he said, where he's pushing back on the governor too. He said he's he's uh, written to the governor numerous times asking uh, for explanations and asking for him to be able to ease restrictions um, in his community. He's not even getting a response mm. um, from the governor. It's, it's worth a watch if you haven't seen it. Yeah. And, and I mean, and, and I, I think that one of the things that Governor Pritzker has said numerous times is he's listening to everyone. He's listening to everyone. You know, I mean, uh, plans and ideas for, for this, that, and the other, I mean, amidst the pandemic, I don't really think he's listening to everyone. I think he's listening to a very select group of people. Um, we have, you know, at the center square, have FOIA'd just so we can have a clear understanding of how he's received guidance from those experts, what science he's used, what those data points look like. And those FOIA's Freedom of Information Act requests have been denied. Um, so this too, is too burdensome. They say yeah, too burdensome. <laughs> too burdensome. We've reduced what we've asked for four or five different times um, uh, during this back and forth with the governor's office, and they keep saying even our lessened requests are too burdensome. What the heck is everybody doing there? Yeah, well, it makes you wonder. I mean, I think it's just that nobody wants to really, you know, show you the work product right. um, that we're paying for as taxpayers in Illinois. I mean, if we just had a clearer understanding uh, uh, as, a, you know, as citizens of the state as to how these decisions were being made, because you can't just continue to say we're following the science, we're looking at the data, and we're listening to experts, and that'd be okay. This isn't Iran, you know, so um, I don't know that we're ever going to get that information. I don't know that it's ever going to be made clear. And and because of that, it has the appearance of a Wizard of Oz spinoff. That there's just some some group of people that are that are kind of like in a in a cubby hole and, you know, in, in, or cubby hole spread out at the universities in and around Chicago that are feeding you know, feeding data back and forth to each other and evaluating, you know, sort of the, the counts that are being done by IDPH, which frankly have been suspect since the start and making decisions that affect the 12.7 million people in the state of Illinois, how they get to that number or how do they get to the conclusions, what they do with those numbers, that's not for you to worry about. Trust us. Orland Park's mayor, uh, in his message, uh, called it weird science. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's weird because it's not being explained. I mean, and that's and that, and to be honest with you, uh, I, I think that that's been the, the probably the toughest part of this for me personally is that I just want to understand what's going on, and I think that there are a lot of people that are out there 
that would share that same view. I mean, certainly COVID-19 is, is, is terrible. I mean, you know, you have, you've had, you know, X number of people in the United States that count. If you even take it, you know, like let's take a, um, let's take a skeptical view and say that the actual number of people that, that died of COVID-19 is only 75,000 or 80,000 and not the 120 plus thousand, you know, that have been reported. That's still, it's still significant. It means something. The fact that, 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 that is, it is disproportionately affected older people that have comorbidities, that's still relevant. I mean, it's still relevant information. If I have an older person in my family that I need to take care of, I would have liked to have known just, you know, just the details of that. So I could have ensured that I could care for them appropriately, care for myself appropriately, make decisions about my life on my own without government telling me how to do it. And I probably would have been a good citizen if I had been, if I had not been told to wear a mask. If wearing a mask makes a difference, I probably would have worn a mask the entire time and gone about my business, socially distanced, but gone about my business. And I think it's been disrespectful to the people of Illinois and in other states around the country where the government has said, you know what? No, we don't trust you. We don't believe that you will follow the rules. So nobody can go anywhere. Nobody can do anything. And sadly, and, and sadly in Illinois, of all the deaths, nearly 50% of them have occurred in uh, nursing homes that are regulated by the state. Yes. Um, if you want to put precautions in place, why didn't we take care of our, our senior citizens, who many of whom have these pre-existing conditions, uh, who are in state-regulated nursing homes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. Great question. And who's who's who is ultimately responsible for that? I mean, who's yeah? I mean, well, and 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 we I say that you said that I agree with you, and that's largely because he blocked the legislature, or the legislature blocked itself, or whatever the heck you know has happened in that dynamic. Why the legislature had no activity, didn't participate in anything for nearly three months, and then came in and jammed through. All the things that it jammed through in four days' work, including this state budget that has, um, you know, uh, effectively like sort of pandemic scope decisions baked into it. Talk about that for a second. You know what? What this is not your normal budget, not only from a funding standpoint, but also not from a spending standpoint. At the end of uh, at the end in those four days that, that you mentioned in the end of May, when lawmakers decided that hey, uh, we're actually getting paid to do a job here, we were elected to do a job here. Maybe we we'll get a couple of days uh, of work in. Uh, they approved a forty three billion dollars spending plan, most expensive uh, in the state's history, despite the fact that one point two million Illinoisans have filed unemployment claims um, in the last three months. Uh, income taxes are are in free fall sales taxes are in free fall the state's not going to collect anywhere near as much money this coming fiscal year uh as it did in previous fiscal years yet they're spending even more uh not furloughing uh public sector workers state workers not uh cutting jobs um, not looking uh hard at expense cuts instead they're spending more and the budget is smoke and mirrors because it relies on five billion dollars in budget or in borrowing, excuse me, from the Federal Reserve that it hopes and dreams and prays will be paid back by a bailout uh, by Congress, which we don't know if that's ever going to happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, the idea that we can't do this ourselves, you know, as as Illinoisans, you know, it's I I I disagree with that. The premise of that idea is we're not being allowed to do it ourselves. Right. You know, we're, we're, just, I, I meant to mention this earlier. The news aspect of this was Governor Pritzker um, signed that budget um, this week. So we've got a, a budget that relies that is going to be is relying on a federal bailout that we have no clue if that's going to happen. Right. Right. And um, and one of the things that was put in there that a lot of people, you know, really didn't appreciate, you know, was actually some additional money 
not a lot in terms of the, the state budget, but but from a priority standpoint, you know, the idea of, of expanding the budget to include um, health care for undocumented seniors really rubs some people the wrong way. $1.8 million. It's a teeny tiny amount in a budget of $42 billion. Right. But I mean, it, 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 at the same time that we're, you know, that we're, we're, we're telling people that, you know, that, 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 that they need to give, that they need to give more because he's stumping the entire way for, you know, for his quote unquote fair tax, which is really a progressive tax. I mean, it's not, you know, fair, the idea of fair being applied to that is very debatable. Well, it's certainly not fair. It's, it's, it's certainly not fair to the small business owners who have been forced to to close their doors for however many weeks, um, who have very little margins, uh, uh, profit margins to rely on, who have had to ask for federal loans through the PPP, uh, the pay, payroll protection program, to keep employees on. Uh, many of them have not been able to. Um, we get out of this pandemic whenever, this summer, in the fall, who knows, um, Pritzker wants to increase their taxes. Right. <laughs> right. And we're, and we're technically this week, one of the things that, that, that sort of happened very quietly, you know, I mean, I, nobody, and it didn't sneak up on anybody because I mean, thought we were going to, this is going to happen anyway, but this has finally been declared a recession that we are actually in a recession right now. And that's sort of, you know, a basic economic, you know, basic economic term um, that has to do with, with, you know, uh, no growth or negative growth over a period of time. And we have gone now, I guess it would be two quarters with the, uh, you know, with no growth, negative growth. So we're, you know, we are, we are in, in a recession, not just Illinois, but across the country. If, if, if governors everywhere, Illinois being the most restrictive, but if if governors everywhere don't allow businesses to reopen and hire new employees, that recession could drag on for a long time because many of these small businesses are going to run out of money or have already run out of money and won't be able to reopen and won't be able to hire. Right. I mean, if you think about it in terms of something that we, that that I think most people who are listening can, 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 can recall that the downturn, the economic downturn in 2008, that was, that really was the product of the housing bubble bursting. How many stores in your town uh, didn't reopen or closed during that period of time? There was no health concern at that time. It was all about economics. People were losing their homes. Interest rates had had ratcheted up, and all these people that had bought homes on adjustable rate mortgages, um, you know, they they all basically were left without the ability to pay their mortgages, lost their homes. The, the market flooded, you know, with properties. And at that time, there was a law in the books, you know, fe- you know, with regard to banks holding properties, so they were churning these properties back into the into the real estate market which were driving prices down which you know here we we've never we've never actually in northern illinois we've never actually recovered in most zip codes from the 2008 housing downturn that we've never gotten back the uh, the amount of money that was lost in the value of our homes here although our taxes have gone Right. You and I have been in our in the same home since before um, the Great Recession, and I might be just getting back to pre-recession home values. Um, not adjusted, not adjusted for for the you know for oh, the, the time exactly. value of money. Right. Yeah. Right. Huh? right. Yeah. Right. So it's so that you know it's a, I mean it's a it's a it's a mess. It's a mess. Now I think it would, we would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit, you know, um, to to sort of change gears here to go back to uh, the the George Floyd protests of police brutality. And, you know, there's been discussion about like sort of the systemic uh, or systemic racism that exists within police departments. Um, I don't really want to, I, I don't really want to go there because to be honest with you, I don't feel qualified to speak to it. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that, that there's a lot of people that are drawn to the optics of what they've seen. Uh, the statistics and the optics don't match up. And I'm frankly, I'm not an expert uh, or wouldn't have the ability to, to pull 
facts and feelings together at this time to, to, to talk about it cogently. So I'm going to ho- hold off on that. We can, we can get there. But one of the one of the byproducts of what's happening uh, in the wake of the, the protests that, uh, you know, the protests have largely been peaceful and positive. But what's come after the protests in some cities, including Chicago and including Orland Park and including Aurora and including Naperville and um, Peoria and Springfield is something different. I mean, that's rioting, looting. I mean, that's these, these are I don't believe that these are the same people involved in the same activities. I think these are opportunists taking advantage of uh, police forces that are that have been overwhelmed and, and frankly, a lack of uh, national guard presence uh, that would allow, you know, for, for these disturbances to, to, to become what they've become. But as, as a byproduct of this of this conversation that we're having about police is the idea of defunding the police, which is really not taking money away from the police per se, but about changing the way that police police, the way that they do their job. And one of the pieces that exists in that is the idea of licensing police officers. And the the thinking goes like this. If we're going to make lawyers have a license, doctors have a license, nail technicians have a license, um, I don't know, hairdressers have a license, barbers have a license, why don't police have licenses? And, And that discussion has become, I think, very interesting and contentious not just here in Illinois, but around the country. Yeah, so I think it's there's definitely, in Illinois, they're talking about um, this license, right? So I think it's an interesting conversation to have, but I honestly, I have more questions than answers. Um, you know, police officers already go, it, reforms need to be made. Let me make that clear. Uh, reforms have been needed for years, for decades. Um, you can't have what happened in Minneapolis happen again. No, absolutely it's, not. It's 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 awful, but the the idea of licensing, how many how many police officers there are there in Illinois? Tens of thousands, um, right now, right? They've all, they've gone through training. They they should go through continued uh, retraining programs, particularly uh, ongoing training. training. Ongoing training, exactly. Um, but. I, I, how do you license, you know, the tens of thousands of police officers who do they have? Do they have to go through another program? Do you take them off the force for some period of time um, so they can get their license? Um, what happens in the communities when when these officers are going through uh, their licensing uh, training? Um, I, I just there's how much is it going to cost? Who's going to pay for it? Um, none of these none of these questions have been answered. But I'm open to hearing the conversation. Uh, about it because reforms are no doubt needed. I feel badly for the police officers who do things the right way. Oh, I really, I, I really, I really do. I mean, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is, is it, it's not always, you know, um, I think the vast, first of all, I think the vast majority of people um, that, you know, that, that exist in our society, that live in our society uh, are good people. And I think the vast majority of police officers who are doing the work that they're doing are good people. And, you know, the interactions that we have with police, for the most part, most people, the interactions that they have with police are around traffic stuff. And, you know, I don't like, you know, some of the things that I've seen and heard and my friends have experienced. Um, And I have no doubt in my mind that racial profiling exists. That, that the person, not everybody is getting pulled over for the same reason, um, for doing the same thing. There's just absolutely no doubt in my mind that, that, that there's not some level of, of, of bias in that. But purely on an interaction basis, that is the number of interactions that police have, the percentage of these conversations that occur between police and citizens are amicably resolved. And I would imagine, you know, I mean, based on my understanding of the data, aren't even necessarily, you know, uh, come to a conclusion with a, a citation being issued. But there's something that's just not right there. 
there is there is some feeling out there that um, that the police are doing a bad job, uh, but it's not. I don't believe provable in the statistics. Yeah, crime certainly has been dropping um, in most areas um, uh, for years now. Of course, Chicago uh, continues to be a hot spot for gun violence, um, um, but but most areas have seen significant declines in crime. I agree with you that most interactions with police officers uh, end amicably, um, but there are those cases, and particularly when it comes to minorities. Uh, minorities generally have worse experiences um, with police officers than 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 white white people do. Yep. Um, and that's not right. Right. Absolutely not. And that shows there is still a degree of racism, and uh, certainly some um, police officers, a, a minority of police officers, um, uh, are are worse than others, or, or or whatever. The fear is again. I want to stress reforms need to happen. The fear is though, if you go too far, um, is anyone going to want to be a police officer? uh again we, well, we need we need our police yeah i mean you know one we of the things one of the things that's being discussed is just you know police tactics and what police are and are not allowed to do i mean you know the idea of of uh forbidding police officers from um putting uh people with whom they're struggling like if they if there becomes a physical altercation you know god forbid a physical altercation happens that police officers wouldn't be allowed to apply a chokehold uh on someone um, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you can, for you know, forbid the police in, in a situation where their life has been placed in jeopardy. And I mean, I think there's maybe is a feeling out there that, well, the police escalate everything and the, you know, the police ultimately decide when something's going to get physical and, and something, you know, is taken to the next level. I don't believe that that's factual. I don't believe that that's factual. But, and let's be clear, you're talking about situations unlike what happened to George Floyd. For where he, sure. Where he, was sub, where he was subdued. There were four officers right yes. there, one of him. Um, um, you're talking about a situation where it's maybe a one-on-one where someone – maybe someone's um, – um, use some – uh, mind-altering drug, and they're out of their minds, and they're being violent, and they have to be subdued because they could injure others, or they could injure themselves, they could right. injure a loved one. Right. Um, you're talking about situations like that. Absolutely. I mean, and, and you know, I mean, I, I guess it needs to be said again, just for for clarity. What we all watched on tape in Minneapolis with George Floyd is an abomination, and it's it, it's a moment like that that's captured on on camera that can set off what has happened in the United States that plus the idea or in my, my opinion, that plus the fact that we're just completely living in fear and we've been locked down for weeks upon weeks upon weeks, that that's literally a fuse that we lit in this country. And it's unforgivable what happened in Minneapolis and that's, but that's not a chokehold. No, no, I mean, I, I just, I guess I, I'm just, I'm at a loss on how, you know, some people look at what the police have to do um, just in the daily lives that, that, you know, that, 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 that they lead with regard to the interactions they have with people who are frankly, in some cases, at their worst. They see people a lot of the time at their worst. What what absolutely needs to happen, and this is police unions in in some respect are the problem here. Is you have to hold bad officers accountable. Um, you when an officer does something, let's not even say what happened to George Floyd. Not even near that bad. When when uh, when they behave badly on the job, whether it's violently or in some other way, they need to be held accountable. Um, and they agreed. Need, and, and problem officers need to be terminated, and that information needs to be made public. So other police stations, uh, uh, other police departments, whether it be in Illinois or another state, aren't hiring officers who we know are bad. Right. Um, that hasn't happened. Uh, so accountability is a big is a big issue here. The officer involved in the George 
um, Floyd case, who has been charged with second to be murder, degree murder, rightfully so, um, deserves it. Um, he had a number of prior incidents uh, that just kept getting swept under the rug mm-hmm. because police unions protect them. Mm-hmm. And it perpetuate the opportunity for something like what we all witnessed to happen. Yeah. It's a mess. It's a mess. I don't know how it gets fixed. I mean, you know, you don't want to dissuade people from joining the police. You don't want to live in a society where there is no police, although, you know, they're attempting to do that, you know, on Capitol Hill and in Seattle, Washington right now. Um, you know, I think it's it's idiotic, you know, the 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 extent that the the city of uh, Minneapolis is moving to ensure that uh, something like uh, what we saw with George Floyd never happens again. But nonetheless, there has to be change. We have to change the way that we do things. We have to change the way that we interact with people um, when they are at their worst. We have to. We just, there just has to be a change there. Well, it would be interesting, and we will certainly follow it, and we'll talk about it uh, here as there are developments, as we learn more about what licensing police officers means, what some of the specifics of uh, of that entails. Uh, we'll certainly be talking about it here and writing about it at thecentersquare.com. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk this out with you, Dan, and to, and to have this conversation. As always, it's great. Um, still no baseball here in the, the great U.S. of A., I really miss it. I wish there was just something for us to to look at to kind of take our minds, not to say off of things, but to give us something else to think about and talk about. I think it would help us to get back to, you know, um, normalcy. Yeah. I, I don't know. Every time I think they're making progress, it looks like then they take you know, one step forward and two steps back. I hope they reach something, but man, it's getting, it's the middle of June. Yeah, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. Well, it's uh, it's always a pleasure, Dan, and thanks for taking the time. Uh, great to talk with you. Same. Have a good weekend. For Dan McHale, this has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to Illinois in Focus's Crosstalk segment, the commentary portion of Illinois in Focus. Now over to Greg Bishop for a look at what the Center Square in Illinois will be working on next week. Next week, we'll continue to monitor Illinois' status amid COVID-19 concerns and unpack how businesses expect to bounce back in Phase 4, where they'll still be restricted. This has been Illinois in Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. At the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.